You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! Mr. Fight on the beaches. Mr. Fight on the landing grounds. Mr. Fight in the field. I do not believe that they will ever acquire it as long as there is war. Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty! We are free at last! Oh, the humanity. What just happened? Episode 206. Old and Dispensable? Yeah, podcast 206. Old and Dispensable? Question mark? Yes, and we should mention before we begin that this is the first podcast to kick off year seven. Yeah, amazing, huh? Six completed years, and now we're in our seventh. Wow, it's a milestone in our adventure here on this podcast. By the way, Peter, another milestone is approaching for me tomorrow, the 23rd of June. One year. Is one year to the day that I got in our car with our three cats in the back and drove whatever it is, 1,500 kilometers to our new home here in Nova Scotia. Yes. I should also add to that, we will do over 18,000 plays and downloads this year, which is over a third of what we've done the entire six-year stretch. So we've got quite a diverse thing happening here. I like to think of those 18,000 people sitting all together in a hockey rink with headphones on, each of them listening to the Sill podcast of their choice and just sitting there for 35, 40 minutes grooving on the Sill. Wow, that's a great picture you just painted, Harry. That does put things into perspective. It's like asking someone, how big is a blue whale? And if you tell them it weighs as much as 20 elephants, then you get a better picture. And you just did that with the people in the arena. Then you want to simplify things for those who are getting old and can't think about complicated things anymore. Oh, and then there's this. I grow old. I grow old. I shall wear the bottoms of my trousers rolled. Shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare to eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think that they will sing to me. The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And that's a great segue to open up this podcast as to what getting old really represents. Well, yeah, it's a challenge because the world changes very quickly. And as we grow older, we tend not to be able to move with those changes very quickly. And you see that in your day-to-day work with seniors who are having trouble with the technology that is kind of forced on us. Yes, the technology is the obvious thing, but it's also the senses working with the technology, not just the technology itself, the ability to hear, to see. All these things are compromised a little bit, so they make the technology sometimes even more complex because the technology seems to make things smaller and smaller, and that becomes more challenging for anyone who has not just the visual aspect, but even the tactile aspect. If you've got arthritis in your fingers or you're having some difficulty with the mobility factor, working on these small devices, smartphones and computer keyboards and so on, there are many things happening at the same time. Yeah, and when your vision is compromised or failing, and then you have to spend hours in front of a computer screen trying to figure out how an app works, there's that element too, that you can't take as much screen time, I would think, as a young person. 
not only the physical element, but the desire element. We don't have the same level of desire for certain things. As you get older, you tend to simplify matters and you tend to focus more and more on the things that you want to do or like to do and less and less on the extraneous things. And sometimes that's how technology becomes a bit of a headache for some people, which they just don't want to deal with or have other interests. They'd rather go gardening than look up people on Facebook, as an example. Which brings me to the first sort of philosophical point in this discussion, which is the question, what is old age? How do you know when you're old? For me personally, I'm feeling my age because I feel less connected to the busyness of the outside world. So when you say these seniors like to focus on the gardening or the things that they know and to push out the noise from the outer world, it's more than that. It really is a disconnect from life that's shooting forward at top speed as I am slowing down, slowing down. And that's the moment, that crossover moment is where I think, aha, uh -huh, okay, I'm old now. I can say that I'm safely old. I think the disconnect, though, is also a factor of purpose. I believe that there are people who are older or seniors or however you want to encapsulate that whole idea of aging. There are people who have purpose. And what I mean by purpose is they have some intent. And that intent, whether it's family, whether it's hobbies, whether it's interest, whether it's volunteer pursuits of one sort or another, there's an objective to their life. And I think that's a big, big factor in the aging process, in my opinion. Not the physical things. The physical things, none of us can dispute that with time, there's just a natural progression. Our joints, our vision, our hearing, all these things, yes, they certainly begin their downturn. However, it's also relative to your state of mind and how you experience life. So I do believe that there are people, despite the physical limitations, who endure in a different way simply because they do have what I call purpose. Yeah, of course there are people like that out there. It's hard to generalize. That's the problem. The other issue, of course, is that from culture to culture, the way the elderly are treated is different and how old people think about themselves and the life they're living is different from culture to culture. In some cultures, elderly people are profoundly respected in the indigenous cultures, for example, the elders hold a high status in the tribal system because they are there to give advice out of their wisdom. They're often healers. They're often mediators of disputes, etc. And so their usefulness, let's say, to the community is at a high level compared to, say, the inner cities of Canada or the U.S., I totally agree. And I think it's also our connections because even in Western culture, our culture, for example, here in North America, where there's less of that, there are still people here who remain connected to their families and their extended families that still feel that support or connection that suffer less. I think it's a cultural thing for starters because our culture often also dictates our feeling about certain things. Connections to suicides, for example, mm -hmm. how elevated the numbers are, especially people 85 and over worldwide, not just in developed countries. Yeah. You mentioned the numbers. The actual figures are really kind of startling. As of the fall of 2022 in the United States, adults over the age of 65 accounted for almost 17% of all suicides. And yet that age group only makes up about 12% of the population. 
The other thing is that older people above 65 are actually more likely to complete their suicide if they attempted. One in four adults actually are able to complete their suicide. Whereas in younger people, it's one in 200 who attempted complete it. It also aligns itself with being deliberate, full intent. This is also something that I think comes with a life experience. You don't diddle-daddle as much with certain things. Well, yeah, and there are cultures, maybe not so much contemporary cultures, but more in the past, where a person who was old and infirm and fading away, let's say, realizing they're close to the end, they didn't have a medical system that could prop them up for a few years and keep them going. They just would take the decision to wander away into the forest or into the desert where they would basically die. So they took themselves out of the community and they were no longer a burden to the community. They knew that their death was there and so they willingly walked towards it, let's say. So it's a kind of a more dignified approach in a way than wasting away in a medical facility somewhere, in my view anyway. Yes. If we bring it up to modern day, looking at those numbers... The Japanese have the highest suicide rate among the elderly in the world. They're number one. Why is that? Well, part of it is that they have also the largest aging population, and they also have a cultural aspect to death in itself. For example, the whole concept of harikari, terminating one's life by one's own volition. Mm. And so... If you think about that concept where suicide is sort of embedded in the culture, and Mm. there's also an attitude in Japan, mental health has a certain stigma attached to it, Yeah. so that when people do get to that stage, they don't even feel comfortable getting help or talking to people about it, so they choose to end their lives based on all these things coming together. And so if you've got greater numbers and you've got more people doing it, It's not difficult to see how you gain the number one spot in suicides among the elderly. Yeah, and mental health issues, dementia, there's a correlation, according to studies, between that and suicidal ideation that older people get into. So there's definitely an issue there with mental health and the deterioration of mental health and uh, suicide. In the ancient world, in the Egyptian world, and later on, medieval life, we're told that the average lifespan was very low, was in the 40s. So if you lived into your 40s, you were considered old. But that's actually inaccurate because that average age of 40-something is an average. And the fact is that many, many, many babies died during childbirth. Mm-hmm. It was disproportionate. The number of childbirths and infant fatalities created a great imbalance. So as you said, right. you now have a situation where maybe the average lifespan would be 60 instead of 55 or 45, whatever the number might be. Yeah, And a lot of that was due to medicine and technology, of course, which extended or right. reduced very significantly the number of babies lost at birth. Yeah. And in Egyptian society... Children were expected to care for their elderly parents, to maintain their tombs, etc. And aging was associated with illness and health beliefs centered on cleansing the body with ritual sweating, vomiting, believe it or not, and bowel cleansing. So the customary greeting in ancient Egypt was not how are you, but how do you sweat, apparently. 
Well, if you think about it, it sort of makes sense because we're reverting back to that. We're understanding the expulsion of toxins in our body. Mm-hmm. And we know gut health is extremely important in terms of our general health. Yep. These things were all sort of figured out without the technologies that we have today. There was a connection to source that we sort of got away from after the Industrial Revolution and are now sort of edging our way back to. Right. And in ancient China, for example, in that regard, a lot of their health considerations were based on the Tao, which is also known as the Wei. And the Wei focused on the balance of nature's duality, the yin and yang of nature. And so they worked with the elements, balancing the elements of earth, air, fire, water, and metal. And they would do that by instituting exercises, certain kinds of dieting, and living in harmony with the seasons. So these older cultures knew in a natural way how to kind of sustain a good quality of life into old age, whereas we, generally speaking now, just rely on the technology of medical science. Unfortunately, it's not as meaningful in a way to grow old and end up in that world. Just a sidebar here. I was thinking about the aging thing and how we view aging in our culture. And then Mm. simultaneously, think about how we view wines and cheeses, they actually get better with age. (laughs) And stinkier. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, they say that it may stink, but it still tastes good. (laughs) But if you think about that, you could say the same thing about humans. The aging process, what the individual has acquired over their lifetime, the experience, the knowledge. I think where we run into problems, especially in Western cultures or developed countries, is we attribute a lot to physical appearance. Mm. And with aging, it's impossible to keep that tight skin. It's impossible not to have wrinkles. Mm -hmm. And we do everything in our power to sort of maintain that, to me, to the point of excess. When I see someone who's 85 years old and has jet black hair, if it makes them feel better, great. I'd say all power to you, but it's such an obvious mismatch, if you will. Yeah. It's kind of torture in a way. Those of us who are old, like myself, I'm 72, who has the body of a 72-year-old, but mentally and in some ways emotionally, I'm much younger. And so it's very frustrating to be in this body and understand that there's no way that this body could have a relationship with someone much younger than me because they would find it somewhat repulsive, as young people can do. But inwardly, emotionally, I would be just happy to be there. But there's this disconnect between the physical reality and the mental, emotional level of maturity one achieves. And it isn't always in sync, as you know. Oh, I totally agree. I'm only a couple of years younger than you, so I'm pretty much in the same demographic. Mm -hmm. However, it's also about how you internalize those feelings. For me, the real point will be where I'm no longer physically capable of doing basic things, like being able to bathe myself, go to the bathroom on my own, being able to drive. There's a level of independence. Okay, so at the age of 90, when you hit 90 and you're still able to drive and do the basic things, you're not going to consider yourself an old man? To me, the old is not a question because regardless of what you think, you're going to be put into that category. What matters to me then is not whether you are old or not, but how you contemplate that, how you perceive that, how you view that for yourself, whether you're still contributing in some way or you still have some purpose. So to me, it's not about the physicality. 
our demographics, our charts, our insurance companies, they all establish what's old and what isn't, regardless of what you feel internally. <laughs> but there's a huge difference between individuals. And you had a list of things, which was quite funny. You sent me a list. It was humorous, actually, where you uh, jotted down some points about how do you know when you're old? And one example, you said, you know, you're old when almost everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, you're old when you've been diagnosed with CRS, can't remember shit. (laughs) So you listed a number of them, but there was one that caught my eye that was really interesting. It's a subject that is sort of avoided in our society. The one that said, you know, you are old when you can live without sex but not your glasses. (laughs) Now, that was really interesting because I believe that you can still have sex and still need glasses, for starters. (laughs) You know you're old when the only thing that gets hard is arteries. (laughs) (laughs) Right. As I said, this is sort of a taboo subject, but there are people into their 80s who are still sexually involved. Some people may quit as early as their 50s. And then, of course, it's also how do you define sex? Is sex only defined by the ability to couple? There's so many elements to this. Yeah. And I think, and I'm being general here, I think men tend to attribute a greater importance to sexuality, especially in the later years, than women do. Now, I could be wrong. No, Um, from what I read, I think you're right. And I actually knew personally a fellow who committed suicide when he achieved a certain age and his sexual life, which was very active up to that point, dropped to very little, he committed suicide shortly thereafter. So it's a serious thing. Well, and for some, it's the ultimate disconnect. It's one thing to choose not to do something. It's another thing to still be interested or able and not being able to go through with it. Mm -hmm. I believe that it's also a health issue Not whether or not you're partaking, but whether or not you have the freedom or the feeling and still able to enjoy aspects of your sexuality, whether it's actual physical performance, whether it's mental, whether it's emotional. Mm -hmm. There's a profound health aspect. And for women, too. If you look at the studies, you'll see that people who maintain some level of sexual activity, there's a state of well-being that's very measurable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know you're old when you have sex on the first date because there might not be a second. Ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even that, we associate that with youth and vigor. And there are plenty of young people who have problems with that too. Yeah. So it's not just an age issue. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of viewing life. It's the way of expressing oneself and so on. Our title of this podcast is Are Old People Dispensable? And one of the elements of modern life here in the West anyway where old people are problematic is they kind of get in the way of the younger generation. There's a lot of old people who come the typical retirement age, around 65 it has been for some time, decide to just carry on working because, well, it fulfills them, they feel good, they're used to it or what have you. And the longer they stay in that occupation, the more they're preventing a younger cohort from moving into those jobs, those roles. And there's a kind of resentment that builds up amongst young people. And I've seen it, even experienced it on the streets. Young people look at older folks often with very distrustful, malicious almost viewpoints 
Look at all the abuse that we read about in nursing homes. Especially in the UK, there's been a lot of abuse. They've done research and have discovered incredible amounts of abuse of seniors in nursing home type facilities. Mm -hmm. So there's a resentment that has been built up, I think, over the last at least 30, 40 years as seniors have stayed longer and longer in the workforce that has built up and has resulted in a kind of attitude towards seniors of you are dispensable and I can treat you like shit because you're in my way. Well, looking at some very basic things. So first of all, our generation is perceived as having most of the resources and most of the money. Mm -hmm. So there does come a point where we ourselves have to make decisions to step aside and allow the generation behind us to take their place. We've had our time. Now, that's not to say that we can't work with them. I think part of the problem socially is we have this polarization even between generations and age groups. Because if you work together, there's no reason why an elderly person couldn't step aside, give up their position to someone younger and still be working in a supporting role, which would create a situation whereby the elderly person is still useful and work in unison. Yeah. So I think that some of the problems that are existing, I completely understand why there is a resentment. And I think it's incumbent on both the younger and the older to work together and try and understand one another better, seek a more cooperative or supportive role in the way we do things. Yeah. And I think the attitude towards seniors unconsciously played itself out over the past several years during the COVID situation when nursing homes were the hardest hit of the population. People who lived in those nursing homes supposedly were supposed to be protected by governments and health regulations and protocols and all the stuff that they were trying to put in place early on in the pandemic. But it seemed to make very little difference. They weren't protected at all in the end and got hit very, very hard. And even beyond the first few months of the pandemic, when we knew that it was the seniors who are really getting hit hard by the disease, that they still weren't protected in some way or fashion. They were still left to be vulnerable and or they were isolated from their families, which was even harder than actually potentially getting the virus. It was even harder on their systems and probably killed a lot of seniors in that direction as well through the isolation. So I think there was an unconscious bias against the senior population that showed itself, maybe unintentionally, but was there in the undercurrent of how the situation was addressed. Yes. And to that point, I would also extend that and say that there were actually seniors or older people who voiced that feeling. I remember an uncle overseas in Italy, an 83-year-old uncle who basically said to me, and I'm paraphrasing here, that they're trying to get rid of us. This is a way of calling the herd. Yeah. So it was visceral for a lot of people. Some people were actually experiencing it that way. Oh, yeah. Didn't you share a statistic with me the other day? And maybe I can't recall the precise numbers. Maybe you do. To do with in 50 years or something, the certain percentage of the world will be 65 or older. You quoted a statistic. Yes. As of 2019, we were at 12% of the world population being over 65. By the year 2050, the estimation is that 20%, one in five people on earth will be over 65. Wow. That's a lot of dentures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, think about how you would view that as a younger person. 
who's still to go through their life, their careers, and so on. Mm. And to imagine for those that are knowledgeable on simple facts, numbers, when one in five people in the world who are essentially using resources. Yeah. Now, there are exceptions, of course, because many of these people will still be able to contribute in other ways. But the basic day-to-day view is that you're taking more than you're giving. Yeah, and don't forget that the four out of the five that aren't seniors in that world of whatever it is, 2050 or something, will be, many of them, put in the service of supporting the elderly population in one form or another. So it's going to be even more problematic for younger people because much of their life will be in serving and protecting and dealing with seniors and their issues. Yeah. You said some of these things yourself when you were describing your own situations, your own physical compromises or changes that you were noticing in yourself. Try to imagine one in five people in the world in various stages of what you described which many think will be offset by the technologies because they see now that more and more technologically speaking, we design, build things to make things easier and easier. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my household, we've got a robot vacuum cleaner, basically, that is busy doing its thing while we're taking a bath or something. Yeah, so more and more, we're reliant upon the technology that's available. Also, there's a difference between urban and rural when you think about seniors too, in rural settings, lots of seniors are involved in farming or they're working on the land. They're in much better shape physically often and can live to a very ripe old age. I've noticed here in our area, for example, that it's filled with seniors of that nature. Farmers who are old and grizzled, still vital and with it in many ways. No question. And you can look at it even globally. If you look at places like Okinawa or Sardinia and the Mediterranean, these people being 100 years and older who are still contributing to the societies they live in. And a lot of it's what you just said. They live in environments that are healthier. They eat better. They maintain mobility. They work physically and are able to maintain a level of productivity well beyond what we are experiencing here Mm -hmm. in Western culture or the urban centers, as you described, where there's isolation, pollution, stresses of living. Basically, we've created an environment, whether through technology, production, poor diets, sedentary lifestyles. And then we talk about aging. Aging is a very natural thing. Everything in nature ages. Yep. And the transitions occur naturally. No one thinks twice about an animal dying or a plant dying and going on to nourish the next plant. We have been fighting in this country and other countries for assisted suicide and the MAID, M-A-I-D system to allow for seniors who feel that it is their time and they're very unwell to allow them to go with dignity. And it, it is something that we should be able to choose. Our way of passing should be our choice, I think, anyway. It's my view. I agree. And there's one thing that we didn't really talk about during this podcast, which I'll just put a sort of a footnote here, is that we didn't talk too much about the financial aspect of getting older. And we live in a society that is primarily founded on economy, productivity, and so on. And we relate many of our lifestyles and our daily goings on to dollars and cents. A lot of the stresses that people are feeling, especially the elderly, is this deficiency. 
where they are financially. Yeah, yeah. And so these are also weights that are felt less in cooperative communities or where people can depend on one another. Because when you're living on your own and you're so dependent on products and services, then the dollar becomes even more significant. Mm -hmm. And one of the most disrespectful elements of life for seniors, at least in Canada, not necessarily in every Western country, but in most countries that are taxed by the government, where the population is taxed by the government, seniors are taxed on the pension that they're getting from the government. Canada Pension Plan is taxable. So I get my check, automatic deposit in my bank account, but I have to pay taxes on that at the end of the year when I do my tax return. There's something very obscene about that to me. It's something very disrespectful. Seniors who have put in their entire working lives to contribute to society, to keep the economy functioning, you get into your 70s, 80s, 90s, and they're taking money out of your pocket every time they give you that little check that you get once a month. It's a horrible system, and I think that has to change. Well, to me specifically, what's wrong with that picture isn't so much that they're taxing the elderly, it's that they're taxing a group that's already compromised. It's different if you are an elderly person that has excessive amounts of money, but if you're already in a position where you're reliant on that stipend from the government to live on, yeah. and the society itself acknowledges that it's not enough, mm -hmm. then it becomes totally ludicrous to tax something which you've already admitted to not being enough. Right. Well, let's just hope that we don't get to a place where old people are so disrespected and considered dispensable that we'll have fascist governments ordering people to go to death chambers beyond a certain age. Because we've had that storyline in different movies, science fiction books, etc., and it's not a pleasant thought to consider. So we've got to find a way of kind of fixing our relationship with the seniors in our lives and with ourselves who are becoming old people in our society. And I'd like to close on this note, Harry. I want to say from my own perspective, I think it's also incumbent upon us, the older generation, to want to partake, to want to participate on some level, because we have to take some responsibility too. People aren't going to bend in our direction if we ourselves don't engage or stay connected. Because once you give up, people around you will eventually give up as well, too. I mean, to the best of your ability, I'm not suggesting that you even try to replicate the way you were living 40, 50 years ago. But to stay connected, when someone offers help or wants to invite you to something, partake. Don't disconnect yourself from it. Don't say, I'm too old for this, I'm too old for that. If you are, that's fine. And if you reach that point, and eventually all of us will or may reach that point, but then accept the responsibility of that as well. If you choose to take yourself away from something, understand that people are going to treat you accordingly. Yeah, and to play to your strengths. As older people, we've been around the block a few times, lots of revolutions around the sun, and we have stories to share. We have wisdom to share with people. And so we need to tell our stories, share them in whatever form we can. So that's something we need to do for sure. So on that note, Harry, ciao. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.